So we are in the midst of, um, well, nearly at the NBA final. The Stanley Cup final is ongoing. Mm-hmm. The Major League Baseball season is coming to the halfway point uh, of the year, and the Blue Jays are chasing a playoff spot. Uh, CFL is getting ready to start. There's a lot of sports stuff. Um, Wimbledon is on. A lot of sports stuff on the agenda, not the least of which is uh, the Canadian National basketball team i guess we can call them that the olympic team yeah it's supposed to be the olympic team uh, olympic qualifiers in quali- the last qualification uh, this is their last shot uh started with six teams uh three in each division canada won its two games in the preliminary round beating greece and um then china mm-hmm. and now awaits their next opponent in the semi-final and then hopefully on to the final a win they go to tokyo a loss they all go back to wherever they came from and enjoy the rest of the uh, summer. We're going to talk about that and maybe a little bit about the Raptors too. Doug Smith of the uh, Toronto Star will join us when uh, the program continues after these messages. And we are back. It's McCowan and Shannon. And uh, with us from uh, Victoria, British Columbia, Doug Smith of the Toronto Star is here. Hello, Smitty. Gentlemen, how are you? We're all right. Good, good. Happy Canada Day or whatever. Uh, happy Canada Day to you and whatever. <laughs> yeah. Um, so we were chatting very briefly here uh, before we started this, and um, Victoria is wide open, you say. Yeah, for three nights in a row, I've been sitting in restaurants with friends, having dinner and drinks. Well, that's this, listen, that is monumental because being inside is one thing, finding friends is another, Doug. <laughs> <laughs> well, how about acquaintances? Okay, that's <laughs> good cool with that. But yeah, everything is basically. Um, well, it's not normal. They still like you to wear masks when you're wandering around, but there are no limitations on the number of people in restaurants. There are social distancing rules, but they're going to exist, I think, probably forever. But other than that, it's it's like it's basically life is normal here. Wow. There are you are there to uh, cover the um, qualifying tournament for the um, Olympic Games, a, an event that Canada probably um, shouldn't have needed to be in, um, but wound up in that consequence. Would you say that, I mean, people have suggested that Canada might be the number two basketball country in the world right now. Um, and I don't know, Phil, we'll start, let's start with that. Do you subscribe to that theory? No, not at least. I think there are people in Spain who would argue with you. There are mm-hmm. people in Croatia, Serbia, probably Argentina still. I was going to say, yeah. Australia. There are, there are a lot of very, very good basketball teams out there. I'm not entirely sure Canada's the best team here. I think they're going to be life and death to beat Turkey in the final on Sunday. Well, if you go simply by number of players in the NBA, um, they would probably qualify as the number two uh, country in the world. But the dilemma, as we all know, has been that uh, Canada has been unable to lure its top talent to go and play in these events. And some of it may be um, understandable, explicable. Some of it, well, maybe is just selfish on the part of the athletes, would you say? Yeah, I think, yeah, selfish is probably the right word. Um, Nick Nurse explained it. We talked about it, he and I, a little, a little bit before this tournament begins began. There isn't a lot of passion for playing for your country in Canada, like there is in Spain, in France, in Serbia, Croatia, Australia, Argentina. The passion for athletes from Canada to come back to Canada each summer to play basketball just doesn't exist as it does in many other countries. 
Well, it does exist, obviously, in the hockey world. Why not in the basketball world? It's a little bit more fractured. I think the basketball world for, for Canadians is centered in the United States. Mm-hmm. I think the hockey world is centered in, in Canada. You know, people, it's, and it's something, it's something I, I presume, John, you know this obviously better than I, NHL players grow up looking to play for Canada. It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a, an accomplishment. It's a goal. I don't think that's been the, re, been the reality in the basketball for quite some time. Well, I, I, I think to that point is that there is, from the time you play, gosh, midget hockey, uh, there is always that carrot of being able to put on the, the, the Canadian yeah. sweater to play for the under-16 team, the under-17 team, the under-18 team. And, and Hockey Canada has created that aura uh, and I, th- I think, quite frankly, with with Brian Cooper at the at the lead, I think they're going to try to do the same thing with basketball. They're they just are. they're just two generations behind. Yeah, that's exactly right, John. They 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 had a world they had a gold medal team in the under 19s in 2017. So they, the age group is now a thing. They're going to start hosting an under 22 event as part of the new deal uh, with a sponsorship deal with Sportsnet to have a global event for under 22. So. Yeah, they're trying to get that ladder of, of athletes that want to play for Canada and can for six, seven, eight, nine years at different levels, different age groups. That until four years ago, that really I don't think was a carrot at all for for a young Canadian athlete. Uh, there's no doubt Cooper and Grunwald and people like that are going to be influential in the development of uh, this program. But where does Nick Nurse rank in this? How important is his presence? I think he gives it a, uh, gives it a cachet and a legitimacy with NBA players. They know him and, and they, they know what he's done in Toronto. He's a very personable guy and he has a lot of global contacts in the game. You know, he coached Great Britain in the London Olympics in, 20, in 2012. So he's been around the international game. He has, you know, that knowledge there. And, you know, Jay was a great coach. Jay was a very good coach, but I think time ran its course with him. And getting Nick was a, a, a huge coup. Like, I, I'm sure they're not they're certainly not making it worth his while financially relatively to his NBA contract. But I think he has a, has a passion to help grow the game in Canada. And I think players look up and say, Oh, okay. There's something about him. I think I might want to go play for him. He's got, so they got a lot of NBA. They got six NBA guys, six guys back from the 2015 team that didn't qualify in Mexico city Mm -hmm. playing for Canada six years later. And I think a bunch of them have to do with wanting to play for Nick nurse. And then playing at home is a big character here, obviously. You know, you know the, the other part of this is that uh, when you said they want to, they identify with the NBA game, and and you you know this, and you've seen it the last couple of nights. The international game is different. It is oh, a yes. different game. How how much how much of a factor do you think that has played for NBA players saying I don't want to play that brand of basketball? I think a little bit. They don't know it, and so they're a little not afraid of it. But why bother? Yeah. Why, why, why learn a whole different style of play for it is a lot more physical, isn't it? A lot more physical. The games are quicker. There are fewer timeouts. It's, it's, it's rougher. It's, it's more drive and kick stuff. The style of play is different than the NBA. Um, there's no scouting. So you don't know the guys you're playing against. So you really, you're sort of caught off guards every game. Um, but yeah, I'm sure. And I'm sure once they get into it, there have been players who play. Tim Duncan is a prime example. I remember standing next to him at the Greece Olympics. And he, the Americans just, they just got beat by Argentina, I believe. And he came off, he gave it one of those F FIBA. Last thing he said, because it's a different game. And some NBA stars, NBA players just don't take to it well. Well, the thing with Canada, with this group at least, is that a lot of the guys have played it. Right. 
Like RJ Barrett played it on the 17 on that team that won a world championships under 19. Wiggins was in it in 2015 in Mexico. Corey Joseph has played forever. Andrew Nicholson and Anthony Bennett have played for a long time. Aaron Dornenkamp from Carlton plays in Europe, plays in, in Spain. He's played field basketball his entire career. So there, there is a familiarity with it now with this group that I think is, is good for them. You know, you guys are talking about the differences between the two, the two games. I, I suspect that many people watching or listening to this are not really aware of the differences. Mm. Um, perhaps you could run through the most significant things that change. Well, it's a 40-minute game instead of 48, which is one thing that, that, that changes the way you got to play. There's no time for comebacks kind of thing. You run it, the games are fast. They're over in a hurry. Um, there are far more – I know NBA fans are going to find this hard to believe. There are far more moving picks and illegal screens in the FIBA game than there are even in the NBA. <laughs> it's a lot rougher. There's a lot more full-court pressure defensively that's very, very physical. I mean, the NBA teams just don't do it because they got to play 82 games and you wear yourself out trying it. Here, you play four games in six days and you got time to, you can recover from that kind of grind physically. It's just a more in your face, rougher, more unrefined version of basketball. There's a lot of, you go in there, Nick's phrases, you wouldn't lay in a pure guard, you get ping pong balls all all around the court and the whistle may not go. It likely won't go. Well, but even simple stuff about how you inbound the basketball is different. Well, yeah, the, the clocks don't stop. The, the, the teams, you, there are you no know, live ball timeouts. Re- referee doesn't have to touch the ball near as much as he does in the NBA. Nope, just get the, just get it and go. Yeah. Um, the, only, the coaches are the only people who can call timeouts. So if a player gets stuck in a double team in the corner with 10 seconds left in the shot clock, he can't call timeout and his coach can't call timeout. It has to be a dead ball situation. So it's, it's, a, lot, it's a lot different. Mentally and a lot different physically. Um, the this team managed to get past Greece in their opening game rather unimpressively. Uh, I think you would would you agree? Yeah. yeah, they they were first half they were very sluggish and very sort of out of sync. It was their first game ever, of course. So you can, it's sort of understandable. I was impressed the way they played the last thirteen minutes of the game because in the past Canadian teams might have got rattled and given mm-hmm. that one up. And they didn't. They, they basically won it going away, which was a very, very good sign for the first game out of the gate. Uh, the China game, uh, which happened on Wednesday, Wednesday. night, um, was a much more impressive performance uh, by Team Canada. But this Chinese team was missing several of its best players, correct? Yeah, it, it, it was missing some players. Canada, Canada won by 30, and they probably should have won by 40. They, they played really, really well. They would, they would have beaten, I think, whoever, if whatever China's missing, four or five guys. If they had been there, they would have beaten them. Um, China is one of the great mysteries in the basketball world to me. They're a country of a billion, half, billion and a half people who are passionate about basketball and have never developed a point guard taller than 5'7". In the, 20, <laughs> the 25 years I've been covering Chinese basketball, they've never had that guy, that stud backcourt guy. They, you know, Yao Ming was great. They've had some other fringe NBAers. They've had some good players, but the fact that they can't develop a guy to run a team just stuns me. Have they recruited um, advice from the U.S. or or um, in the oh, past? Oh yeah, they've, they've had, had, Ameri- they've had American coaches. They've had American coaches in, in the Olympics in the national team program. Um, a, a lot of like clinics run over there. The NBA, the NBA runs clinics for coaches and players, and 
for some reason, they just haven't been able to develop those four studs at the same time to make them a good team. Speaking of uh, of Greece, though, uh, maybe we were lucky there weren't only where there were only eight hundred people at Save On Center, you know, because I still I still remember going back to '94 at Skydome. Yeah, <laughs> when the upper deck was cheering for Greece, I remember, not Canada, I remember not, not Canada. That 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 Greece Canada game. I think I think it might have been in Maple Leaf Gardens. Was one of the no, most, it, it was it, it was the, the the one that I remember was the one at Skydome. Yeah, the, 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 but yeah, this this Greece team isn't very good. Uh, let's let's put it that way. They don't yeah. have Giannis, who was would have carried them a lot further than they're going to go. I think they're going to be life and death to beat Uruguay tonight to even get in the semifinals. Like they're just they're they're a bit older, a little bit slower. They're not particularly good, but. Yeah, they're, they're, you know, the fans, there was there have been no people in the building till today. There's going to be 700 people in today and Saturday and Sunday. And they're chomping at the bit out here to get in. Mm-hmm. I've had people in my hotel and people in restaurants. I've been there going, man, well, I wish I could go see it. I can't wait to try to get a ticket. You know, it's only 10% of the capacity. So there's a fight for seats. Um, but there's a buzz about it out here that I find really interesting because I think the men need to find a home. Like the women have a home in Edmonton. I think the men need to find a home, and this might be it. Well, you, you know, you know. Uh, speaking as a kid who grew up in British Columbia, BC, when I was a kid, was much more of a basketball province than it was a hockey province. Yeah. The 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 the, 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 the basketball played uh, throughout the the province at the high school level, uh, at the university level. I mean, there's no question that guys like Ken Shields at UVic all those years ago. Uh, made it and his wife Kathy on the women's mm-hmm. side made a huge difference to where where and how basketball would be played uh, not just in the province but in, in across the country and yeah. uh, and I, I think you're the concept there of making you know that the home of the national team and you know Uvic and the, the the AD there Clint he would be thrilled probably to have some sort of brand of of being the host host city or the host uh, venue of the national team yeah, I had, we had dinner with uh, Glenn Grunwald and Brian Cooper the other night, and they, they, we talked about the development and what they want to do. And, you know, obviously they need Toronto as a, as a base for the commercial aspect of it. They would like to move around a little bit, like Halifax one year, Montreal maybe a year, Ottawa here, Vancouver, Calgary, Edmonton. But I think you need a base. I, I really do. And I've seen personally how well it worked for the women who went to Edmonton. That was their home. Mm-hmm. And they were treated like the Queens of Edmonton because the city was on the basketball map because of them. And I think the men need that kind of thing as, as a consistent. So the summer hits, where are you going to go? I'm going to go for two weeks to Victoria. Yeah. Great, great city. Could be, could be worse. Exactly. Beautiful city. The weather's been spectacular. It's pretty. If they weren't in a bubble, they'd be able to wander around the city. So it's certainly not a bad place to, to think as an anchor for the senior program. So this is the most promising collection of talent, I think, that Canada has assembled. I mean, they've had, we all know they've had success uh, in, to a limited degree in, in previous years. But um, this is about as close as they've come, wouldn't you say, to uh, putting all hands on deck? I mean, who's not there that should be there besides the injured guys? Yeah, well, the, you know, the four guys you think of right off the bat are Shea Gilvis-Alexander, Jamal Murray, uh, Corey Joseph, or I'm sorry, uh, Kelly Olenek and Ken Birch. Mm-hmm. Uh, contracts and injuries keep them away, and that, that's they're legitimate and they're going to happen every year. A guy like Dylan Brooks isn't here, I, I think probably should be. I think that was the one that was disappointing to them. 
But other than that, they're pretty much everybody. You know, Kevin Pangos is a free agent in Europe, so he wanted to stay and get his deal done. There's there's not many people who aren't here by choice. There are some people who are, who are not here because they've been forced to miss it right. for a couple of different reasons. But by, but by choice, there aren't that many who actually did not did not show up or, or commit to the program. Are they committed now to go to Tokyo if, if Canada qualifies? Yeah, every indication are that they won't change the roster a bit and they won't add to it and, they, and no one's going to bail on them. Although, you know, you're asking guys, if they get to the Olympics, you're asking them to give up another six weeks of bubble life. Well, that's just away, it. Away from their friends and family. Like they'll, they'll, they might get a couple of days off next week, but then they got to regroup, isolate, quarantine, get to Tokyo, go through the whole palaver of, of, of the Olympic isolation system. So you're asking a, you're asking an awful lot of these guys if they well, get to the games. I'll tell you this, Mitty. Uh, this is what I find so curious is that of all years to manage to lure yeah. most of your talent to an Olympic games. It's this year where the environment is going to be the most stressful, complex thing they've gone through. Well, I mean, they've all gone through it. They went, went through the bubble in the NBA, but, but it's just, that, but that was, it's, that was a bubble in their American cities. That wasn't a yeah, bubble in Tokyo. Yeah. I mean, this would be the year where if, if guys said no, thanks, you would understand. And to that point, look at all the American players that have said no, thanks to going to Tokyo. And that may not be of significant impact to the U.S. team's success in, right. in, in the games, but nonetheless, there are players, significant players, who have said, no, I'm not going, including Kyle Lowry, right? Yeah, Kyle, I, you know, I, I don't know whether, I'm not sure how down the list I got to Fred VanVleet, but he's not going, and he was on the original list. Um, but yeah, so you're going to give credit to Rome Barrett and Glenn and Nick to, to have done some, some recruiting. I think the allure of playing at home was a big deal. Like the qualification being in Canada was, was a significant thing. I think having to go to Tampa before sort of caught them off guard. I think they thought they could come here, but it didn't work because the pandemic didn't ease in time and the borders didn't, was, it didn't happen well enough in the, in the border situation. And I think when the allure of the Olympics was put before these guys eight or nine months ago and through the NBA season, no one thought Tokyo was going to be as bad as it's going to be. Right. I'm sure athletes, seven months ago thought okay i'm gonna to go to tokyo i'll be in the village be wandering around i'll be seeing other games i'll be seeing other events well as it turns out that's not how it's going to be so i think on if, if they qualify on monday and tuesday these 12 guys are going to take a long look at what they've actually committed to and think oh my goodness i got six and a half more weeks Hey, hey, Doug, how, how different is this roster potentially than the roster would have been a year ago if they'd gone to the 2020 Olympics? Do you think it would be the same or would there, would there be some of those injured guys or some of those contract guys? Where, I, where do you, well, how, how much different would it be? I think you would have the four guys I mentioned. Just the four, uh, okay. Uh, but Birch Powell, or, or sorry, Birch Olenek, Gildas Alexander, and Murray, they might make this team second best in the world. Like they're mm -hmm. really good, and, and yeah. then they, you know, that's you're talking four starters right there, pretty much. Probably, I don't know what the hell you would do with both Wiggins and and RJ Barrett and those four, but yeah, they would have made, and they would their contracts wouldn't have been an issue because they would have had the NBA season left on their deal. Um, yeah, the, you know, the, the delay every year probably cost them a lot of players. Hmm. With uh, with ten minute quarters, or twenty minute halves, more specifically, I suppose. Um, rotating players through the roster 
you, you, you shouldn't need quite as many. Um, what kind of depth has Nick used in the first two games, even though I understand the China game was a blowout and he could have put anybody out there? But It's basically nine guys. He, he starts uh, Corey Joseph, Wiggins, R.J. Barrett, Trey Lyles, and Dwight Powell. The backups are Nikhil Alexander-Walker. Um, Andrew Nicholson play, has played a fair amount, which is a little bit surprising to me, but he's, he's a guy who can just get the ball in a basket. Um, uh, Lou Dort plays a lot off the bench because he's as good an on-ball defender as exists in basketball. He's really, really something to see. So he goes eight, nine guys, which is all you really need. Yeah. You, you, could ride, you could ride six guys in a 40-minute game and massage players to, to the point where you can – you know, they played North Canada played back-to-back games Tuesday, Wednesday, and now we're off Thursday, Friday. So there's some recoup time before you got to go play the semifinal Saturday and then the championship game, they hope, on Sunday afternoon. How's Barrett? RJ, he's pretty good. He's 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 thick, man. He's bigger than I thought he was. And then I, you know, I haven't seen him in person through the NBA season because we couldn't go to games. But mm-hmm. he's really put on some upper body strength. Um, he's, you know, he's a smooth player. Just a smooth, knows how to play. Wiggins has been a revelation. He's been really, really good. Just committed, engaged. He doesn't have those four or five minute gaps in his uh, uh, attention to detail. He's been outstanding. Like, those two have been a joy to watch play with each other and, uh, and off each other on the court. And Nick's played them. You know, one of them's on the court all the time, basically the entire 40 minutes. But he's played them together, I would say, probably 29, 32 minutes a night. And they've been fantastic. I wouldn't say Wiggins was the greatest disappointment in, uh, from uh, from a Canadian perspective in the NBA of all time, but he was a disappointment in when he was in Minnesota. What what really do you think has going to Golden State meant to him? All oh, the world. You're around successful professional leaders: Steve Kerr, Stephen Curry, Draymond Green, Clay Thompson. These are guys who are universally respected by players and, and people in the game. And he, he goes there and he sees their work ethic and he sees their attention to detail and he sees their commitment to the team. And it has to, it has to make them better. Like Minnesota for all its relative charms is a basketball cesspool. They ran through coaches, they run through players. They've had absolutely no success. There's no history there whatsoever. So getting to a settled atmosphere in Golden State where you're, you don't have to be a star. Mm. You got to be the fourth best player on your team, maybe the fifth best player on your team. And you're being surrounded by guys who are true professionals and champions. Has to have been a huge boon to him mentally uh, to see how you manage your life as an NBA player. Plus, he's still 26 or 27 years old now. He's a grown up man. Now, he's not a young kid who's sort of all of a sudden living in Minneapolis. But the, 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 just one thing on the Timberwolves you have to hope that the worm is turned with the new ownership group. You have to hope, you have to hope because I mean, they've had, they've had everything handed to them and they've had, they've had great players. They have a, they had a state of the art arena for a long period of time. I'm not sure it's that case anymore, but I mean, they, they they were given everything on a silver platter in, in Minneapolis. Yeah. They, they, they did just do a big renovation to the facilities really nice, but yeah, the new ownership has to, it has to give some stability. Like Glenn Taylor was a, was a very solid owner in the way like Herb Cole was. He was around. He spent the money he had to spend. He didn't do a lot of things. He, he was like the kindly old gentleman. But he didn't manage when he should have managed and, no. then, and, and overmanaged when he shouldn't have. So, exactly. I mean, and, and pick know. the wrong guys to do the, the, right. the big decision. So, yeah. 
maybe the new you know the new owners are as i understand it not uh aren't fully committed to staying in minneapolis like there is a clause in their purchase contract that may allow them to leave so that that carrot out, out there is going to be i think a big story in the next 18 months well, the team is so crappy. I don't know that I'd care if they left if I was living in Minneapolis. And I'm not sure I'd, I'd want them if I was somewhere else, but I, I get the notion. Well, there's an arena sitting in Seattle that would love to have them. So, uh, Well, yeah, among other places. Oh, I, I, got my, I got my Seattle thoughts. We all know our friends. No, but Seattle, Seattle's getting an expansion team. Seattle and Vegas uh, are going to get expansion teams. I would say Seattle 100%, Vegas 95%. And I'm telling you, if you don't... It, Vancouver? No, I, I no, no. I, the other one, I'm not sure what it'll be. It, uh, I, at one point, I would have said Mexico City, but now I'm not entirely sure. But you know, I don't think I don't think Vancouver is on the list as much as I would love it to be. If it's on the list, it's far down the list because you know there's like even Louisville, St. Louis, Kansas City, places that have facilities now that have arenas ready to play NBA games. Tampa, mm -hmm. for goodness sake. I'm actually we just saw. Uh, my recollection of the Vancouver situation was the team was horrible. The fan support was um, okay, but not great. Um, but the owner wanted to leave. The, yeah, it was, it was an absolute ownership issue. And, oh, yeah. It wasn't Heisley, really about the city. No, no. Heisley wanted out the minute he bought it. Well, that, that, he didn't right. stand his way. Well, I remember Heisley was not the first owner that wanted to oh, no. the, the The Lurries, who actually yeah. bought before Heisley, right. were moving into St. Louis. Yeah, exactly. I mean, that, that, but, and they were connected there. But yeah. Vancouver, I tell you what, Vancouver as a cosmopolitan area has changed so drastically from the late '90s when the team was there. I, I, I in, in my opinion, Vancouver would be a great, a great NBA I, city now. I think it would be too, but I, I don't think in this day and age you can be a tenant in an arena in professional sports. I think you have to be owned by you have to. If the Canucks and, and a, whatever basketball team were together, like Maple mm -hmm. Leaf Sports is, it would be a slam dunk. I don't think you can have two entities sharing a building if one is the owner and one is the tenant. I think that's a problem. It's funny. Well, it's, worked, it's, it's worked in Boston for how many years? Well, yeah, it's but worked in Boston for how many years? That's Boston. Yeah, yeah there's some history. It, 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 part of the reason it didn't work in Vancouver was that very reason. They weren't together. And the mm -hmm. years that they were both locked out, the hockey and the basketball, the NHL allowed our, allowed the owners of the Canucks to make all their business deals during the lockout. The NBA didn't. And when the NBA came back, all of a sudden, all the business deals in Vancouver were locked into the hockey long-term exclusively. Mm -hmm. That was a bad, that was a part of the decision the NBA made that was really, really bad in the ultimate de demise of the, of the Grizzlies. Well, is it unfair to suggest that Vancouver fans are fair weather fans? And I say that not as a criticism, but just as an observation. I mean, historically, do the Canucks sell out when the Canucks are, yes. are bad? They do now. And I think, that, Bob, I think that's my point about how, how the cosmopolitan area has changed. And I think Vancouver has changed dramatically that way. I think in the, in the 80s, I think what you, what you just said was accurate, really fair. I think it's a different city now. And I think that there's, a, there's enough of a, um, a, an urban community that would buy into an NBA team much quicker. Uh, and in fact, would, you know, if, if it's not by the, owned by the Aquilinis, it would be a direct competitor to the Canucks, and that might even be its biggest issue. I think the only way you do it is if the ownership of the Canucks, whether it's Aquilini and somebody else who can afford to buy, because it's going to cost you $2 billion to buy an NBA team now. $2 yeah. billion. 
um, you, you know, you're going to need partners anyway. And so you're going to have to, one entity is going to have to own both clubs. It yeah, is interesting. That's the only way. I think in this day and age, at the cost of franchises, it's the only way to do it. $2 billion. Yeah. It's interesting in this day and age that we sit here, and I can't remember the last time we had a conversation about a franchise potentially moving because of lack of attendance. We used to have these conversations on a weekly basis back in the, uh, in the 90s, even a decade ago. This team isn't drawing in this sport and that mm -hmm. team isn't drawing there. And th these guys are going to go here, there, and there. I mean, I guess Arizona, the, the coyotes aren't. Drawing. They're not going anywhere. They, they no, but they, they're not going anywhere. They're right not now. doing bad. By the, by the way, this, this is the first uh, on that topic, Bob, Gary Bittman did his regular state of the league press conference before game one. Not one question on relocation. Well, no, that's or expansion point. or exactly expansion. what I'm talking about, John. Yeah. Yeah. You know, we yeah, haven't yeah. seen this in quite some time. No, the basketball, I guess the only one that would be question mark would be New Orleans. And, and then that's, there's some issues there as well with the, the Benson Trust and that kind of thing. But yeah, I think there's a lot more people out there. There's a lot more money in the world that people are, are able now to afford to go to games that, that they couldn't 20, 15, 20 years ago. There just were, there wasn't enough disposable income in the world. Now there is. And, and cities are big enough and have, like John said, Vancouver, diverse enough population that you can have. 20, Vancouver has changed so much. Yeah. 20,000 basketball fans. Absolutely. Well, but if they're, if they're interested in an NBA franchise, boy, they're keeping it quiet, which is what they should be doing. But um, we, we certainly don't know about it. Uh, quickly, before we move on, um, Canada is through the first round and yeah. is guaranteed to go to the semifinal now. Yeah. Do we know who they'll play? No, they'll play the winner. There's a game tonight between the Czech Republic and Uruguay. They will play the winner of that game. And um, then and then presumably Turkey. Yes, yes. Turkey will play either Greece or China in the other semifinal. And I would suggest every indication is Canada-Turkey on Sunday for the birth of the Olympics. So not to be a negative Nelly here, but uh, the last time we paid attention to uh, Canada and international basketball was uh, the Venezuela game. Yeah which they lost in overtime. No, um, free throw with a second ago. Oh, it wasn't in overtime? No. It was in regulation? Sorry. Yeah. And, and um, that was a massive um, blow in the head. Massive. 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 And now here's this last chance opportunity. What happens if they lose this, Mitty? What happens to this program moving forward if they don't go to Tokyo? Well, you're going to lose another three years of trying to leverage your marquee program in your business plan, which is what exactly what that loss in Mexico city to Venezuela was. That's why it was crippling. Mm -hmm. It cost Glenn and Brian Cooper and the board four years of being able to sell a high profile theme to businesses. And you're not going to have that. The program's going to disappear until the qualifying for the 2023 worlds, which people in Canada don't give a crap about it. it the loss, a loss this time, would be not as crippling as, as Mexico City to Venezuela because that one was a generational loss. That, that cost them five years of, of finances in Canada basketball. A loss now will will say, okay, the program is going to basically disappear for 18 months. Are you going to get guys to come back again? Like the six guys who are in Mexico who lost that game to Venezuela, if they lose on Sunday, they're not coming back in 20 I don't think so. I think you're no. right. And even the young kids might look and go, oh, man. What, what can we do? Like, well, I'm going to take the summer off and go through this heartbreak. Yep. Yeah, this, this is, 
the levels of, at which qualifying for the Olympics are important to Canada basketball and basketball in Canada are they're so layered and so important at so many different levels that it's hard you can't explain it so it's so big let alone to the CBC who carry the Olympics the CBC the the, the sports net deal when they're going to put on a tournament of under 22 eventually through somewhere in the country you know the, the trickle down impact on the men's side is is incredible now the women the women are the models of success and should be should be carrying this program the whole can of basketball because they've been so good for a decade mm -hmm. but the business side the business people want to be on the marquee men's team and right. the marquee men's team has let them down for 20 years with the olympics well only one team uh is going to go four and oh in this tournament and that's the only team that's going to tokyo if yeah. you go three and one you're staying home um I know Turkey scares you a little bit as a Canadian fan resident. Can Canada beat Turkey? Yeah, they can. They, they, they can. They're talented. They? I think playing at home with 700 people in the building uh, in the, with these circumstances, yes, they should. But I also thought they should roll over Venezuela and Mexico City and they got beat at the buzzer. That's mm -hmm. right. So you got to go do it. Let's take a break. I want to talk to you a bit about the Raptors and what they've done or have not done uh, during this uh, offseason. Uh, Doug Smith is with us. We'll be back after these messages. It's McCowan. It's Shannon. It's uh, Doug Smith, who is uh, in Victoria, BC, where the um, Olympic qualifying tournament, the last Olympic qualifying tournament, <laughs> is uh, taking place. Canada with wins over Greece and China. Uh, they will play a semifinal game, and then we think, in all likelihood, They'll get Turkey in the final and the winner will go to Tokyo and the loser will go, go to hell. Um, the, the off season is upon us for the Toronto Raptors. It's actually been upon us for some time as we uh, start to stare in the face of an NBA final. And there are questions, many questions yet unanswered. Let us begin with the president himself. Or is that even a question in your mind? Well, until he signs the new deal, it's an absolute question. It's a question. And it's getting, it's getting to the point where it's, all, it's almost too weird. I, I fully expect he will, re, he will resign in, in some form. Two-year, three-year. Uh, I, don't, I don't see, uh, I don't envision any way he doesn't come back. But the fact that he hasn't, I don't know if it's troubling, but it's very strange. Well, why? What? What possibly could be the reason? We should mention it's Masayu Jerry we're talking about, and he has been—I don't know about you—but he has really disappeared off my radar. I, I've called him on several occasions to try and get him to come on this program, and um, he's basically not answering the phone. I don't know what he's doing with you, but he has been extraordinarily quiet, and that feels quite ominous to me. I don't know about you. Uh, it I get it. I get the odd. I text with him the odd occasion just on, on basketball stuff where I'll, I'll send a joke or a, something will happen in the game that I'll, I'll sort of tweak him a bit just to, to draw him into a conversation and he'll get back to me eventually. I do think I'm told by every, by people in the organization around him that he's knee deep in draft prep because they have the three picks and that's what he does is he's, he's certainly not taking time off. Him being quiet, I, I think has become somewhat, normal i don't think he wants to do much media i think he would rather bobby webster do it i'm not sure he enjoys it anymore um but yeah this has got to get resolved because there are people in the organization who want to know if it's going to get resolved and and 
it's just unfair to everybody the longer this thing lingers. I'm 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 shocked. I'm shocked it hasn't been done yet. I really am. I, well, me too. The curious thing for me is generally we all know we've been in this business between the three of us, like God knows, well over a hundred years. Um, I've never heard anything so leak free. I mean, yeah. there has been nothing, not a whisper, not a suggestion, not an innuendo. I don't think any of us know what's going on, what the stumbling block is. Is it because Masai doesn't want to talk? Is it because the Raptors have put their backs up? Is there another team or other teams in the picture here? We don't know anything about what is holding this up, do we? No, no, no. And Masai has always been tight-lipped around player transactions, his own life, his own his own personal. And you guys know Larry Tannenbaum's not going to go blab. And I think Larry Tannenbaum is a key far more than Rodgers and Bell. Mm-hmm. Larry is the guy who's, who's doing the talking, um, per se, for, for ownership. So there aren't a lot of loose lips on either side of that, that equation. So I'm not really surprised nothing has gotten out quietly because if it does, I would doubt its veracity because I know the people involved. The, the interesting thing about it, Doug, is that uh, with him not being announced again, um, every time a team south of the border goes through some level of flux like dallas yeah all of a sudden whose name's at the top of the list sure Masai jerry it happened in washington how many times has it happened in washington how many times has it happened in will it happen in dallas who what team now i'm sure uh, the nba is a lot tighter on press releases and during during playoffs and now the nba finals coming they're a lot tighter on their teams to do stuff they're not really allowed to do as much as other leagues are but it 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 becomes fascinating to me is why wouldn't you just put it to bed well yeah that, that that's my point and it, what it, what it leads to this uncertainty is the kind of uneducated stuff you get where all of a sudden some like you say some job opens in dallas and everybody thinks someone's eyes going to go there yeah, it's never going to happen. <laughs> He's got. There's no way that one one ownership's not going to say, "Yeah, go be the president of another team." They're not going to let him out of his deal to do that because it's a lateral move. It doesn't do anything for Toronto. They're going to let him go be a part owner of an expansion team for sure, or they'll let him contract resi- contract run out and whatever non compete clause he has will live for a year or two years or whatever it is, and he'll be back in the game. But it just leads to this craziness out there in the world of basketball and the world of social media and the world of the media. That's just, it's misinformed speculation when it could be easily dealt with by saying, okay, he's coming back for two years. Um, let's talk about the team a little bit. Um, do you think Lowry's coming back? I, I, I facilitate on that basically weekly today. I could see a possibility that he would. Yes. And a two year deal worth. I don't know, 45 million something, because it's just money. He sees a bird guy, so there, there's no cap implications there. Um, I think I think Lowry is absolutely tied to Mazai, too. I, I don't think if Mazai goes, that Lowry will be back. But I could now, today, I could see a way he could come back, mm. especially the way the, the kind of the draft, the way it might work out, other things they might want to do. Um, you know, not having Siakam for the first month of the season factors into some kind of, in some way other other uh, roster moves but again I, I think if they could turn him into a couple of young players with a team that he wanted to go to they would certainly investigate that but again I don't know what's out there mm-hmm. I really don't know we love Kyle Lowry because we see him play 72 or 82 games a year and he won a championship at Toronto 
but he is a 35 year old NBA point guard going into, I think it's yes, 15th season. Yep. <laughs> and I don't think there's going to be a lot of $25 million a year deals out there as a free agent at that level. The fascination of these NBA playoffs are that we, we saw teams that were reportedly interested in Lowry looking at the, watching the play and saying, boy, Lowry would have been good. There. <laughs> yeah. Boy, Lowry, would have been, I mean, in Philly with the Lakers, even the Clippers, uh, Lowry would have fit in well in, yeah, in well, all of those three and in Miami as well. That's right. So now um, why, uh, why are we hearing Siakam rumors? Siakam to Golden that. State is the most recent one. People got too much time on their hands. Yeah. Basically, it's a slow time of year. You sort of look around the league. Okay, what could Golden State get for the seventh pick in Wiseman? And you think, okay, well, you know, Toronto's easy pickings. Toronto traded DeMar DeRozan. Maybe they'll trade Pascal Siakam. I don't think – I can't see a trade for Siakam. And I certainly can't see the Golden, tra- Golden State trade. It makes absolutely no sense to me. And if I did, I think should fire him, in my opinion. So Wiseman, well, Wiggins, Wiseman Wiggins in the pick and maybe Kelly Ubre is a free agent for Siakam in the four. As I does that, I'm going to run him out of town. Well, it's all in very interesting. Um, I don't want to be accused of being one of those guys who the minute you lose a game, trade everybody because there's plenty of those out there. And I don't think I've ever been that guy, but I'm not totally comfortable that this team can be brought back the, the essence of this team can be, can come back and make a significant impact next year. I'm not saying it's not possible. I'm just, I, I'm not comfortable that they can. I'm wondering whether this isn't the time to look around this roster and say, all right, we have needs here. These are all nice players. They are all good players. They are not all great players. And collectively they have in the absence of, three very important people, all of whom left um, of their own volition, by the way, um, this team isn't good enough anymore. Uh, there's certainly a case to be made that they need some sort of jarring move to get back to that championship level contender. Um, but I think what we've also seen with, with in the, these playoffs with Phoenix and Atlanta to some degree is that Having the greatest players may not always be the best thing. You got to, you know, you've seen two very good teams mm-hmm. basically going to play each other in the finals. I think Atlanta's going to get Milwaukee. So, you know, the recency bias would think, okay, well, you know, maybe you can sort of tweak it and bring it back. And you'd find the, the three guys who are your sixth, seventh, eighth, or seventh, eighth, ninth best players, which you need to change. Um, and you get better that way. But again, history suggests that Mazai is certainly willing to make the big move, as we saw with the Rosen. He Rose. has been, yes. Yeah, absolutely. There's certainly not afraid to. No. And, and it, it, the timing was perfect for the DeRozan Leonard one because Leonard was in his search circumstances, yeah. and the Raptors were in theirs. I'm not sure. I'm not sure the guy is out there that Siakam would net you, like the guy was out there that DeRozan netted them. Oh, I, I'm not going to go that far down the road. I, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm not going to contemplate what you might be able to get because that, and in many ways, that's a fool's game because you, you know, you never you don't know. know. Yeah, you don't know. We, we, if you and I had a conversation before the, uh, the uh, Kawhi trade, I'll bet you we would have both said, "Well, I guess it's possible, but it's not very likely." Yeah. yeah right. Exactly. Exactly. And, yeah. it, and it did happen. But yeah. Bob, aren't you speaking to the core? Aren't you speaking to the? Is the core good enough to win? 
on every team, there has to be something special. It doesn't mean necessarily a special player, but a special something or a chemistry or whatever. The Toronto Raptors, nobody knows this better than Smith, went through five, six years with DeMar DeRozan as the key piece of the puzzle and had good teams, playoff teams, competitive teams, but couldn't get over the hump. And Masai, to his brilliance, recognized that after a period of time, you, you can't keep going to the well if the well is dry. You better start going to another well. And and he he made the bold move. He traded his best player for somebody else's best player. And it worked. Yeah. The, the interesting thing, and this is, this is, I think, the essential argument that Masai is having with himself, is that you don't know what this team is because of the time we've been through in the last two years. When, when the basketball world and the sports world ended in March of 2020, the Raptors were the best team in the NBA. They had the best record. They were, they were just come off of five, four wins and five games out West. They were rolling and they were really, really good. And then the season ended. And when it came back, it was in a bubble and it was different and minds were different and bodies were different and it didn't work out. Last year was an aberration because they had to play 72 road games. And so you don't know what they were even then. Um, but, so, but don't you well, have to believe quit, it? And they quit but, the last but, 20. They, they, yeah, the last 15 didn't really count. But Doug, don't you, don't you think that they know what Ananobi, Siakam, and Van Vliet are? In theory, yes. But they haven't. And in theory, are they the group that was the best team in the NBA in March 2020? Or are they the group that failed last year in, the, in, in Tampa? So if, if, you know, the Pollyanna, the fan in you looks and says, okay, when this group was together, without Kawhi, without Danny Green, without, like, they had the centers, but they, they the core of the group was there. They were the, basically the best team in the NBA at that time when, this, when the world ended in March 2020. Last year, they certainly weren't. And you can't chalk that up solely to the absence of, of Ibaka. Gasol, I think, was basically... Well, you can, you can attribute a lot of it to the absence of Ibaka. And I think we, we all kind of... We got Kawhi fever, and it was all about Kawhi Leonard, right. and of course Lowry, the historic leader of the franchise, and Ibaka was just a piece of the puzzle. He and Gasol shared time, um, but you look back at what Ibaka. Oh, meant, absolutely! No it question. was significant. And as a body, as a big body and a veteran player, that's what they missed at the start of last year when they had to ride Aaron Baines and Chris Boucher as a center, which he isn't. But mm -hmm. When they got a guy in Birch, who's a pretty functional, good NBA player, they were pretty good. So I, I, I certainly see both sides of the argument. And you can make the case that they're very good, and you can make the case that they're very average. And I don't think Mazai and Bobby know. See, I tell you what, it, I tell you, it, no, the, only thing, the only thing that I would disagree with you on a, a little bit is if you're the management of this basketball team and you have a smidgen of doubt in that three-man core if you have a smidgen of doubt in that three-man core you're not keeping Lowry you're not and as I know it's hindsight I, I I know it's hindsight but if you think that those three guys aren't what we're going to build the foundation of this basketball club on then you have to start somewhere and getting something for Lowry would have been somewhere yes it, it would have been somewhere in, in March at the trade deadline but I Oh, yeah. No, no, I'm that's what I'm saying. People, I know it's hindsight, yeah. but that's what I'm saying, Doug. I'm talking to people around. There wasn't anything out there. 
there wasn't any, there wasn't junk value that, that was going to even be it, w- it would be a, a loss to deal him for money that you got to pay next year and mm-hmm. it, with the with the, the names being kicked around like yeah uh, tyler hero uh, maxi and philly bah. there wasn't a guy in the lakers i would take outside of lebron and anthony davis the rest of them were very average basketball players as we pro- as was proven when they had to play without those guys so there wasn't anything i don't think out there. i don't have, have no problem with them not dealing Lowry in March. Now, if you have any kind of questions about the group today, then maybe you do have to investigate some way of turning him into some asset in August in the free agents market. Right. Yep. Well, it's all very intriguing um, because there are, there are uh, most seasons you don't have a whole bunch of different ways you can go. Most seasons, you know who the leader is going to be. You know, you know who the president of the franchise is going to be, who yeah. essentially is the leader of the whole thing. We don't know that. You know your point guard is going to be there, and we don't know that. Um, you know who your core players are and how good they are, and we're, I, don't think, I don't know how good they are. You may be right, Doug. Uh, yeah, I, 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 no, I don't sure. know. I, but, yeah, I, do, I will say this. Regardless of what happens to Kyle Lowry, this is now Fred Van Vliet's team. Mm-hmm. He is the leader. He is, he is I'll the, give you that, but what – how is he as good a leader as is he propose purport to be as good a leader as Lowry was? Yes, yes, he he is, he well, is a commanding presence, and he is, I would think at this point, as good a basketball player as Lowry. Wow, there are things about his game that drive me crazy, but we can discuss those at a at another date. And this franchise, just to, so that I can finish, um, really has uncertainty at center. Oh yeah, uh, yeah. I, yeah. I, you know, you well, can say whatever you want about Birch, but they don't have a center under contract. Birch isn't under contract. No. And and Birch, if he came back, um, he'd be a hell of a backup at sixteen minutes a night. Yes, but the, but back up to who? Yeah, that's it. If you ask, if you need him to play thirty-two minutes a night, I think you might be in trouble. Over eighty-two games. This well, and let's like ask let's good. ask the question that that many are asking: Would you bring Ibaka back? Yes, I would too. I would I, w- I would find a way to make that happen if he opts out. Although he just had back surgery. So you know you're you're not you're not buying on uptick. But yeah, I would, I would certainly... Siakam's going to miss time, and I mean, there are questions. Uh, there there are always more questions than there are answers in the yeah, NBA. If a Bach is out there, I'm certain I'm certainly making the call. And uh, and Lowry didn't play for the la- after the trade deadline, essentially. So uh, keeping him to try and get into the playoffs was a, a misnomer, at the very least. I think they kept it because they couldn't get anything for him. I mean, uh, don't want to say that. I, I know that the pubs are not open yet in uh, Victoria. It won't be long. Oh, well, we'll let you prepare <laughs> but, then. But Bob, Bob, listen, Doug, Doug very soon could be on his way over to the Empress Hotel to have high tea. You yeah, know, right. I can just see Smitty I, I, in his shorts I'm, and sneakers and hang on. Ha, ha, oh, have some high tea, have some tea. Yeah, yeah, right. beautiful biscuits right there yeah, in the right. lobby. That's oh, man, job. Smitty, it's to As die for. As wagering continues to be more uh, legal and more popular yeah, in this country, I'm prepared to wager something against the chances of my friend Smith yeah, wandering over I'm, for high tea. I'm not a bet on yourself kind of guy in that regard either. Don't worry about that. <laughs> a high draft is much more likely, I would say. <laughs> I would think that would be like that toaster and a pizza. That'd be all right with me. I think they call it a tall draft, but uh smitty we love you uh stay safe out there and uh oh it, will you go to tokyo if the team goes no no uh the yeah, process is over and done and yeah i thought 
the access is so bad. Plus, I'm an old man who's beaten up, and I don't want to travel halfway around the world and get sick. I'm with you, pal. Uh, safe trip back home, and we'll see you when you get back, okay? All right, guys. Take care of yourselves. Great to see you guys again. Doug Smith. We'll come back to wrap it after these messages. McCowan and Shannon back with you. Again, our thanks to Doug Smith for uh, being with us. I'm kind of jealous. About this? I'm, I'm kind of jealous he's in Victoria, though. Well, clearly, know. that's all you talked about. You well, were, no, I'll tell you like what. like a geography lesson. No. Well, uh, Every time BC is mentioned. Well, yeah. yeah it's, away it's you go. Oh, yeah. It's kind of like you in Columbus, Ohio. Um, now, when does Columbus, Ohio come up? All the time. You bring it up all the time. Of course, the Buckeyes. I, you bring it up all the time. Well, I mention the, the, the thing with, I don't with, mention with the, with all the, the weather. geography and the, re- and the restaurants. Yeah, and the because pe- people the- need to understand. They with don't. the weather in British Columbia the way it is now, and it's obviously very, very hot, uh, and thoughts and prayers to people in places like Linton. Um, but uh, Vic- there's no better, more beautiful place in the world than Victoria when it's hot and sunny. It is a spectacular, spectacular city. I should spend my summers there. So I, I, I love the place. Well... What's holding you back? Uh, a few things. <laughs> would you care to? Would you care to elaborate? No, uh, no, I don't. Um, if this Canadian team, I, I mean, I don't know how either one of us can have any sense as to the relative merit of of this team. It looks a lot better than any team that I've seen, um, at least in twenty years. I mean, you may have to go back to the Jack Donahue years. I think you do, Bob. And that's not a knock at Steve Nash and what they did in Sydney. No, but, but he was a one-man show. And, 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 and really, in the end, w- w- I mean, we, we make so much about how good that team was. It didn't win anything. No. Finished fifth, I think, didn't it? I thought it was seventh, actually. But well, they, were, they, they could play for fourth, and they finished seventh. But, they, they, but and it was magnificent to watch, and Steve was brilliant. But, I mean, it, it's in many ways, that team – we we've held on. If you're a basketball fan in our country, we've we've held on to that team, like Maple Leaf fans have hu- held on to Doug Gilmore. Yeah, uh, and it's you know, you, you've talked about it the last couple of days. We have tried to find a spark to reignite or ignite the basketball market community in this country, uh, and time and time and time again, they have failed. This is one, I agree with what both you and and Doug said, this is our last chance for a while to try to ignite that spark. Well, I, I, if they lose um, in either of their last two games, um, I pity the role that Cooper and Grunwald uh, and to some lesser extent, I suppose, Nick Nurse will have to travel to try and convince these players to engage again, or the new group of players mm-hmm. to engage again with this program. It's a big commitment. It's a lot of, generally, it's a lot of travel. It's summertime, generally speaking, where they, they have to give up time off. They don't get paid a crap load of money to do it. So that can't be the, the motive. And another disappointment might stick a pin in this balloon for a good period of time. But, it, but it's, it's, it's even bigger than that. Because um, with going to the Olympics come corp- comes corporate partnership. Well, of course, that's part but, of it. And, and what that will allow them to do is to reinvest, not just in the men's program, but reinvest in the women's program, reinvest in the under-16 program, the under-18 program. That, this is it, the, the, the domino effect of not making uh, the Olympics and not being able to use this as a springboard is is 
is cataclysmic for for this program at this point. And, and that's why this is so important this week. Well, and you brought up the women's program and the women are going to Tokyo and they're pretty good. And we're number we're, four in the world. We're proud of them and we're hopeful that the that they will achieve success there. But at the end of the day, it's the men's program that drives the bus here. And the women's program, however good it is, is um, in terms of impact basketball Canada or Canada basketball is, is not going to be as strong as the men's program. It isn't as high profile and probably it may be a gold medal. I don't know. Maybe if the women won a gold medal, the impact would be great, would be really significant, but that isn't to be expected. Well, they'd have to, they'd have to be, they, they'd almost have to be the Americans, Bob. Well, they have to be. No, but they'd have to, I mean, because they may not face them in the gold medal game. They'd have to, at some point, beat the Americans for, for corporate Canada to, to rally, to, to rally yeah. behind the women's program. And that's, and again, I, I mean, it's, I know it's not fair at times, and there's going to be people that listen to the show saying, well, you know, the women are just, they're equals. That's not the we way We aren't arguing that point. But that's not the way it works for, for sponsorship dollars. It is not. And, um, and that is what is at stake here. And the continuation of this program at a high level, or more accurately, perhaps, um, a higher level. Uh, we will uh, take the pause. Uh, we wish everybody again uh, happy Canada Day, whatever you're doing. And um, we'll see you again tomorrow. Thanks for watching or listening. Goodbye, everybody.